Hi, my name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. We are going to have so much fun together. I hope that our conversations about pleasure light you up. And I hope they inspire you to reclaim your desires and create more space in your day to bring pleasure into your work, your family life, and yes, even your sex life. We will practice and explore the art of pleasure together. Let's play. Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. I'm so excited to bring you a wide range of guests. And today I bring you Ari Tuckman. Ari Tuckman is a clinical psychologist, a certified sex therapist, speaker, and author. I am thrilled to connect with you, Ari, because I've recently been delving into the world of ADHD and sexuality and how both of those uh, things are related to pleasure. Pleasure in the largest sense of the world word, how it brings us joy and desire and energizes us for the work that we love. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited to have you here. Yeah. Well, it's fun to be here. And we have a, uh, a great friend in common, Kirsten Milliken. So uh, she's bringing two worlds together. It's a good thing. Yes. Kirsten Milliken was a previous guest and a dear friend of mine who wrote Play DHD. And every time I meet with her, we talk about ADHD and play and creativity um, and a million other things, of course, in the same breath. But, um, but yeah, it always, it always lights me up. I'm recently diagnosed with ADHD, although I'm hundred percent certain I've been struggling yeah. with it all my life. Um, but I was one of those um, people at 50 <laughs> to mm-hmm. finally get diagnosed and then go on medication. Uh, so this has been maybe six months or seven months now and have become highly productive since then. And, yeah. and it has affected my relationship, both positively and negatively, which I'd love to talk to you about how ADHD affects relationships. And, and my husband identifies as ADHD inattentive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah. an interesting dynamic. I mean, the thing of it is, if you're, I don't know, 30, 35 or older, the odds of you being diagnosed as a kid are really low. If you're female, the odds are even more low. If you're mostly inattentive, so like disorganized, distracted, poor time management, procrastination, losing things, right? So that side of stuff, right? If you're not super hyperactive, like Dennis the Menace, Calvin and Hobbes kind of kid, right? You're not being diagnosed younger. So there's this whole generation or two of folks who are your and my age and above who were not diagnosed as kids, but hmm. maybe they have their kids who get diagnosed. And then you get what I call the two for one diagnosis, <laughs> you know, where one of the parents goes, damn, that sounds familiar. Right. Um, or they look at the other one, they say, damn, that looks, that sounds familiar. Um, and, you know, so that, and yet like the ADHD isn't new, right? You, you're having ADHD isn't new. It's you're being identified as having ADHD that's new. So yeah, it really does become this whole, like, I kind of describe it as it's like reading the last chapter in the mystery novel. Yes. And you're like, oh, yes. that, that's why the butler's hands were wet. <laughs> like, ah, it all makes sense. Well, and I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that when I received the diagnoses, I was, thrilled. First I was relieved and I relieved a lot of shame, 
And then I just, I just delved right into creativity and hyper productivity and what else can I learn? And what, and I, I just saw it as a superpower immediately. Um, is that a common reaction for people in, in their adulthood when they've received the diagnoses or is there a lot of fear and yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that really kind of goes all over the place. And it's often, I think, actually a mix of emotions that mm -hmm. some of it is, you know, it's like anger and regret and sadness of like suffering that didn't have to be suffered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, God damn it. Why did all this have to be so hard? Why did no one know? Blah, blah, blah. Right? All of that, which I totally get. Um, and there's also this sort of thing of like, oh man, now I know, now it all makes sense. Now the, now everything is coming together. And especially if someone, you know, tries medication, which generally speaking, the medication for ADHD works really quite well mm -hmm. in very tolerable side effects and it's not addictive and all that kind of nonsense. Right. So like, mm -hmm. it's this thing of like, it's like all of a sudden getting a pair of glasses where you're like, whoa. I can see stuff now. Wait, is this what it's supposed to be like? You know, and there's this amazing clarity that comes in this sense yeah. of like, finally, now I can put the pieces together and really do the stuff in life that I want to do. Yes. And because my ADHD presents so differently than my husband's and his ADHD, frankly, has been frustrating me for now 14 years because yep. he does do things all the time and he can't remember seemingly anything. So we joke in the house that in the time he goes to the grocery store, I can produce a podcast and a comedy show and write a book. And that, and then it actually feels pretty accurate. Yeah. And yeah. So, so do you work with couples often where one person is diagnosed or do you often work with couples where it's both? I mean, definitely the folks who show up in my office is it's much more only one partner has mm -hmm. been diagnosed with ADHD. Now, you know, the question of course becomes maybe the reason why none of the both ADHD couples show up is because they're living in marital bliss, right? They don't need a therapist. They're doing awesome, right? Like may maybe that's what it is. Um, so I think some of it is there's just fewer of those couples out there. Um, and I mean, it's sort of, it's, it's like the good news, bad news of everything, right? The, the good news is if both people have ADHD or both people, whatever, right? Like then you have more similarities. You're like, oh, I kind of get you. Um, except of course, even if you're exactly the same, you're still not exactly the same, right? So there's always going to be the differences. And I think in some ways, as much as yes, we do want complement or balance and similarity. We also want complementarity. Like I don't need someone who's good at what I'm good at. I need someone who's good at the stuff I suck at, mm -hmm. you know? So like you want a partner who's a good balance to you. And there's definitely, definitely that kind of cliche of the sort of disorganized, but sort of dreamer, optimist, ADHD type with the kind of a little bit anxious, but definitely really organized kind of non-ADHD type, you know, like that, that pairing comes together because they balance each other so well, yes. some, somewhat, um, and they make each other crazy also, which also. is what we do in marriage. It sounds like all marriages, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's just oh. different things, right? It's just those yeah. couples argue about different things than the other couples do. Yes. And you did a study that was so fascinating. And I don't know if you've done one since then, uh, the 2015 sex yeah. study. Is that the recent, the most recent one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the one. So, yeah. So I did this gigantic survey um, looking, so asking about 
So for couples with one partner who has ADHD, one person doesn't. And asking about all sorts of different aspects of their relationship and their sex life and, you know, ADHD treatment and education and whatnot. So, um, you know, as probably nobody will be surprised. There's very little research that's been done on how ADHD impacts a couple's sex life. Now, there's a ton of research on ADHD in general. So things like how does it affect um, academic achievement? How does it affect, you know, I mean, like earnings potential and car accidents and, you know, comorbidity with other conditions and even stuff in terms of like health outcomes of, you know, like physical health outcomes and things like that. So lots of research in general on ADHD, but not so much on relationships in general and definitely not as much specifically on sexuality. And yet, you know, sex is a big, important part of relationships, right? It's a big, important part of life. And certainly, you know, it's a big part of pleasure and excitement and intensity and, and all. So, so it's important. And, you know, like we want these couples to be happy together. We want them to do well together. And part of what makes it easier to deal with just the annoying, boring, mundane parts of life and relationships of like, ugh, somebody has to load the dishwasher, right? Like you need that good sexual connection, that energy, that positive, you know, vibe between you guys to get through the boring, annoying frustrations of life. So, you know, so I think, I feel like as a field and as clinicians, we've sort of been missing this massive Mm -hmm. lever that we can use to help these couples and frankly, all couples do better. And when the couple does better, the family does better. When the family does better, society does better. So, you know, like there's a lot at stake here if you want to get on a soapbox about it. Right, but I, which but I, I do, <laughs> which you do, which we are, yeah. Because like, if there's peace in the self, then there's peace in the yeah. partnership. If there's peace in the partnership, there's peace in the family, and on and on and on. Um, so I, I, I think that makes complete sense, and it's actually quite surprising to me that there hasn't been more research on it. Because as soon as I was diagnosed, the first thing I thought of was my recent reclamation with desire and claiming my sexuality as bisexuality at around the same time I was diagnosed. And then out of nowhere, like just a wave of women with ADHD who identify as bisexual have become my clients and, um, and they're creative and they're fun and they're curious. And interestingly, their sexuality is very expansive, but to the point of your survey, most of them in the behind the scenes of all that expansive um, thinking and creativity and fantasy is quite a traditional monogamous, I'll say boring for myself, sexual relationship, which goes completely against all the other creative expansiveness uh, I do in my, my work and personal life. So how, do, how did you make sense of the fact that people with ADHD, you would think, would be mm-hmm. more interested in... Uh, expanding their repertoire, but then they they weren't. You know, actually in the data, what I found, so, well, so first of all, um, you know, obviously I, I compared, you know, men and women, right. You had to take, you got to take gender into account on these Mm -hmm. things. But then I also looked at ADHD. So men with ADHD versus men without women with ADHD versus women without. So I wanted to separate out what's gender here and what's ADHD. Um, And, it was really interesting, not, it wasn't surprising when I saw it, but I didn't predict it necessarily beforehand, but that the folks with ADHD overall, compared to their same gender, non-ADHD folks, 
you know, overall actually tended to have much higher what I called sexual eagerness. So when I looked at the 12 questions that had anything to do with how eager are you sexually? So things like, um, what's your desired sexual frequency? Um, how often do you masturbate? How often do you look at porn? How quickly do you get turned on? Um, do you have a history of consensual non-monogamy? Do you have a history of non-consensual non-monogamy, meaning mm -hmm. affairs and hookups? Um, you know, would you be interested in consensual non-monogamy? So like a dozen different questions. The folks with ADHD beat the folks with not, without ADHD on 10 out of the 12 right? They endorsed higher levels of just eagerness, you know, kind of generally speaking, and they tied on the other two. So absolutely folks with ADHD at the level of group averages um, were more sort of in tune with sexual stimuli. They're more influenced by sexual stimuli. They're more interested in trying new things as opposed to doing the same old stuff. So so yeah, I mean, there's very much, just as folks with ADHD are kind of like influenced by other potentially distracting stimuli or, you know, they're pulled by other interesting things mm -hmm. that very much applies to sexuality as well. And one of the things then that it means is, and this is where gender comes in, is overall men tended to rate higher on sexual eagerness than women. Now, probably some of that's biology and definitely some of it's society. So like, I'm not going to parse those out because, um, but, um, but men tended to rate themselves higher. Women tend to rate themselves lower folks with ADHD rated higher than non ADHD. So what it means is when you have a couple with a straight couple where the guy does not have ADHD, but the woman does, okay. they're actually a bit more similar and sexually they do better. And overall in the relationship, they do a little bit better. Mm -hmm. By contrast, when it's the woman who does not have ADHD and she's lower on sexual eagerness, and then you have a guy with ADHD who's a bit more, probably supercharged is too strong a word, although I know some of these wives would say supercharged, right? Now you've got a bigger discrepancy and that's a harder, you know, it's a harder distance to bridge. Mm -hmm. And those are the couples that are going to struggle more. So it becomes this thing that, when the sex is good and we're feeling connected and we're liking a lot of the same stuff and, you know, our desired frequency is not too different, it becomes this great positive in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And when the difference is too great, it becomes yet another discontent. It becomes yet another strain, yet another place where you're letting me down or I'm feeling pressured or whatever, right? So like, so it really does go both ways. This is the trick for all couples is how do we keep sex as a good thing in the relationship and not another bad thing? Mm -hmm. And what is your, what is your tip on that? How to keep sex a good thing in a relationship? I mean, some of it is, it's, I mean, this is kind of obvious to say, but, but keep having sex, right? Keep making it a priority and having at least one partner who's a bit more attuned to mm -hmm. sex is a bit more interested, is a bit more inclined to say, Hey, it's kind of been a little while. Maybe we should do something here. Um, like that can be a real positive because somebody's got to keep it alive, right? You can't just right. vacuum and pay the bills. Right. Um, and yet, you know, to keep the sex good, you got to deal with other stuff, right? You can't be an asshole by day and then expect great <laughs> sex by night. Like that, that math doesn't add up. So, um, so but you the dishwasher, do... uh, right. the dishwasher plus laundry equals sex is math that does add up. That absolutely adds up, yeah. right? Yeah. Good acts of service, right? Yeah. Kindness, generosity. I don't care about the dishwasher, but I know you do. Yeah. 
And I know not in a manipulative way, but I know if I do the dishwasher, I'm more likely to get some tonight. So, okay, I can be a good sport, right? Like this is just that like consideration of living together and being good to your partner and giving them what it is that is important to them. Yes. And part of your survey was also, or maybe it was a different survey, but uh, you spoke of sleeping in separate rooms. Is it typical that somebody with ADHD would have a harder time or more distractibility at night and possible struggles with insomnia, snoring sounds are more distracting? I mean, definitely folks with ADHD tend to be a bit more night owls. Um, And so they're, so it's more likely that they're not going to bed at that partners are not going to bed at the same time. And, you know, since often, especially if you have, you know, kids in the house, often sex tends happen more in the evening, not that it has to, but just logistically it tends to. So, you know, so if you're not going to bed at the same time, you're missing those opportunities. So that was definitely one of those kind of barriers to a better sex life that um, my survey participants, you know, put towards the top of the list. So, um, and, you know, for some folks with ADHD, the problem is as their medication wears off, you know, towards the evening, they, they're more inclined to kind of wander through the evening. Um, on the other hand, if you take your medication in the morning and you get more done during the day, there's less that spills over into having to be done at night. Yes. So, so that, yeah. That works for me, and I found actually I needed to take the medication in the morning or it exacerbated my insomnia um, mm-hmm. to take it too late in the day. So I take yeah. it in the morning and I'm very productive and I do all the things. But then frankly, if it's not on a sticky note by three, I'm like nothing after three happens unless it's on a sticky note. So do you suggest, I mean, I, I need a reminder. Like I don't, I won't remember to have sex. I'm already asleep in bed and like, oh, right. I did it again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how do you, how do you recommend folks to just remember i know it sounds so funny that that we yeah. forget but i'll forget how i'll forget to exercise even though i teach it unless i write it down or yeah. it's on my schedule i think it's something you know without being too kind of rigid about it like oh honey it's tuesday you know <laughs> um yeah but there is something to be said for it at least to be sort of intentional about it mm-hmm. um because like as adults we're intentional about lots of things right like i know the days i work out Right. I'm, I don't sort of find myself some at some point in the week saying like, oh, maybe now is the time where I should exercise. Like, no, I know the days that I work out. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying that you have to put sex on a schedule, but I think there needs to be some intentionality about it. Mm-hmm. And whether it's like actual sex, sex, or whether it's just like the two of us spend some time together, like let's get the kids into bed and let's turn off the TV and let's, I don't know, like Marty Klein has this awesome line, which is sort of sad, but true, which is um, sex is a thing Americans do when they're too tired to do anything else, you know? (laughs) So it's like, no, this time for you and me is really important, which is why I allow it to be the very last thing that I bring the least amount of myself to. Exactly. Honey, you are so important. I'm going to give you the most tired, cranky part of me. (laughs) That is a true statement. Yeah. Dynamic. That's so true. Yeah. And it's after you put the kids to bed and after the the chores or whatever are finally done and the last email is read and you're you're mostly completed and it feels a bit like an obligation at times, um, which is no longer pleasurable. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the thought that I have, the recommendation, the real life recommendation I have, which is not like, oh, find a sitter and go for a spa weekend, which is a lovely fantasy, but like, seriously, you know? So um, 
is sometimes small differences make a big difference. So mm -hmm. 15 minutes, a half hour makes the difference between I'm half asleep here and okay, I got a bit of energy, I can rally. You know, so sometimes just small changes can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, small changes during the day of doing a few more good things, also a little bit more looking for good things and yes. what your partner is doing, not just being annoyed by the negatives. Um, and, and a certain amount of sort of like willingness um, of I'm just going to show up and I'm willing to let, to see what happens because there's a lot of stuff that initially, even something as great as sex, like we're not necessarily like burning for it when we start, but if you allow yourself to be convinced, obviously in a consenting way, um, you know, it's kind of like you get into the mood. So you can't necessarily judge by how you feel beforehand. Yes. And, and again, back to the exercise example, you know, the majority of times that I work out, like, I'm going to be honest, like when I walk down to the basement for my first set, I'm not like psyched to be there. Right now, by the time I've done a couple sets, I'm like, okay, yeah. All right. There we go. It's I'm all right. Starting, this is good. Right. Yeah. Starting. That's the hardest part. Yes. Yeah. But yes. I know like in five minutes, I'm going to be fine. I just need to get through five minutes or it's like jumping in the cold pool. Right. The first 30 seconds is terrible, but then, then you like it you're like, oh, this is great. I'm glad I'm here. So oh, I should do this more often. This is right. so good. I'm definitely going to do this every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it repeats and it repeats. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, the, the book I just wrote, which is called My Next Husband Will Be a Lesbian, mm -hmm. which I understand it's a very ADHD type um, title, is really about the um, feeling quite content in my marriage and feeling this uh, relentless desire to try all things in the world, mm -hmm. all things, and, um, and to be able to express myself in an ethical way and in a mm -hmm. consensual way. Um, and so you mentioned non-monogamy and do you work with a lot of couples that practice non-monogamy? Um, I definitely have some, mm. you know, it's not, it's not the big portion, but, but I've definitely got more than one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm in the boring suburbs too. So, um, you know, and yet I've got several couples right now, currently in my caseload who either currently or have in the past engaged in consensually non-monogamous activities. It's mostly all in our heads during COVID. It's like a, a non-monogamous right. non fantasy <sighs> life that yeah. this is getting us through the pandemic. Uh, um, right. Ooh, right. I trip to Cleveland. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And is there any connection between childhood trauma and ADHD? I know that's a very, I know I just turned, right. but that's my brain. Sorry. Thank that's you. That's fine. So, so there is, but not in the direction you're thinking. Okay. So in other words, childhood trauma does not cause ADHD. Now childhood trauma causes lots of other things, some of which could look a bit ADHD, but ADHD is more likely to cause childhood trauma. Um, so having ADHD as a kid, you know, you're more likely to be a bit impulsive about the situations you put yourself into, a bit more inattentive. So maybe you don't notice certain things. So you may find yourself in a situation that becomes traumatic. Um, but, you know, obviously we're not blaming the victim here in any kind of way, but, and it depends like what is the trauma? So like getting hit by a car versus being sexually abused by a family member. So obviously in that case, a kid having ADHD doesn't have anything to do with being sexually abused by a family member. So, um, 
but you know, I don't know. I mean, for all of us, right. We've got our burdens and our scars and our, our past to reconcile and deal with as we go forward and try to create a meaningful life and interesting and pleasurable and everything else. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, these are all the pieces that perhaps fit together and the one can, you know, exacerbate the other. Yeah. What about a, a, the high sensitivity? Is that uh, correlated at all? I mean, it can be mm-hmm. in the sense of folks with ADHD tend to feel their feelings a little bit more. They tend to wear them on their sleeve a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the sort of joke that I have here is if you do something in the spur of the moment and it works out well, then that means you're spontaneous. And if you do something in the spur of the moment works out badly, that means you're impulsive, right? <laughs> so, so like, so in some ways, folks at ADHD are a lot of fun to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you know, it's also one of those things that if you're depending on them to, I don't know, remember milk at the grocery store, then maybe that's not as fun. But again, like we all have our, you know, the good things we bring to our relationship and the parts that make our partner crazy. So, you know, it's all part of the package deal. Yes. And I work in the field of therapeutic comedy and I find most of the comedians that I work with also have ADHD and it's a superpower. It's perfect for comedy. Have you found that true that people with ADHD have either a sense of humor or actually do have a um, inclination to write or perform comedy? There is definitely a lot of comedians who have ADHD. Now they may or may not have been diagnosed, but, but they got it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so that is definitely a true thing. And, you know, I think some of it, I don't know, I mean, performing, you know, like there's a thrill to it, you know, Um, and there's that kind of creativity, especially as a comedian, when you're kind of working on material um, and that ability to sort of twist an experience and kind of pull out the nugget about of it, you know? So, so yeah, yeah, I think it, it fits in a lot of ways. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And then just in terms of the pandemic itself, itself yeah. and experience of somebody living through this pandemic and feeling, I'll say, confined. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I've been able to find creative outlets, thank goodness, online. Had I not written a book, started a podcast, started a couple new businesses and moved, I would have gone pretty nutty because yeah. I needed that much stimulation to, to keep me engaged throughout the pandemic. Have you found that... Um, that people are being very creative in their ways of handling and thriving through the pandemic, those of your patients with ADHD? I think it's been a mixed bag, right? I think that those who have done well with it are the folks who've done what you've done, Mm -hmm. which is they've said, awesome, my schedule has been cleared of lots of things that, let's be honest, kind of a bit mixed on at best. Um, You know, there's only so many soccer games we can stand on the sidelines of, you know, like, awesome. I got the time. Let's do something cool with it. So there are definitely those who've risen to the occasion. Um, And I think there's also a lot of people who haven't, right. They've just sort of like withered in the absence of opportunity. And, you know, I think that, you know, ADHD or not, it's a thing of like, you know, here life has brought you what it brought you. What are you going to do with it? And I know it's not that easy. It's not so simple, but 
you know, but I do think that that is still the universal of like, how do I find a way to make the best of the situation that I'm in? Mm-hmm. Um, and for all the terrible, terrible things of the pandemic, I got to say, there's some stuff about it I've actually really kind of liked. And the fact that things are getting normal again, you know, there's a part of me, it's kind of like, uh, well, I think I'm going to rethink some of the things, you know, yeah. like, do I still got to do those? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Like, what do we want to do here? You know, so it's a chance to kind of rethink things. It is. It is. It's such a wonderful opportunity to um, to create space for the things that did bring us pleasure throughout the pandemic and see if we can continue to create that space after. I'm, I'm yes. dreading the after. I'm dreading the after because I, this has been the most thrilling time of my life, these, these new creations online and this community that lives in my laptop of these play ADHD comedy centric people that out when I go to the grocery store are not surrounding me saying hello. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. It's a different world out there. And you have children. I do. I've got one. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So that definitely, it, it keeps us busy, but he's 13. So now he's in the helping phase you know, as opposed to the like little tiny, you know, make sure he doesn't die phase. So yeah, life has gotten easier. <laughs> oh, good. I, I have a 13 year old boy as well. Um, and I'm assuming that ADHD is hereditary. Is that, yes. is it likely that if both parents have ADHD yes. that the child does? Let's just put it this way. I wouldn't bet my house, <laughs> but I might bet my car. It's not that nice a car, but still. So yeah, only knowing the, these two data points that he's got two parents with ADHD, I'm going to bet a few bucks on that. <laughs> all right. Well, I will, I will embrace all that. that <laughs> <laughs> I will celebrate it. Right. Oh, so good. I, I'm, I'm excited to, to talk to you and learn about your work. I'm so thrilled that our um, friend Kirsten Milliken, the author of Play DHD, connected with us. And do you bring play into your work often? I mean, I do try to, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's that. And I mean, especially when I'm seeing, you know, teenagers with ADHD, like a lot of what we talk about, like, or at least a lot of the things their parents want us to talk about is the boring stuff they don't want to talk about. So it's schoolwork, it's chores, it's the, you know, how do I avoid or minimize the negatives in my life? Mm -hmm. And fine, like we all have responsibilities, like I get it. And yet, you know, that's not the thing that's going to light them up, right? So like, it's not simply how do I get homework done so I can end the suffering, but it's sort of like, what opportunities does this open up for me in the future? How do I enjoy myself in the moment? How do I feel good about what I'm doing? And, or even just how do I get the homework done as quickly as possible at some decent level of quality so that then I can go and do that other thing that's more interesting. So yeah, I mean, it's gotta be, you gotta find something interesting and meaningful in your life where it's just a slog. And that, you know, like certainly the last year has felt like more of a slog, but still like there's got to be something fascinating, something interesting, something you're working towards, some project, some something that you're aspiring to. Yes. Some sort of passion project on the side that I'm assuming for a lot of teenagers includes something on screen, yes. um, like a game that they're very passionate about. Um, I've relaxed my expectations of, of screen time as this pandemic has, has continued on um, yes. because I see that that's his, what lights him up and that's, yeah. his, that's his pleasure. Uh, yeah. And his social life actually too. Right. 
those darn games. Um, but yeah, we bring, we bring play into our uh, parenting all the time and even to deal with some chronic pain uh, and mental health issues, it's been incredibly useful. And in the therapeutic work I do, bringing play into the therapeutic sessions and then having the children, adults, whoever it is, um, if it's something like failure, um, saying like, what's your hall of fame biggest failure? What would you give yourself the, the gold medal for? And yeah. so we, we reframe it through the lens of humor and it, it releases a lot of shame around those. Um, yeah. Those. Well, but it's also, and I don't know, I think, you know, chronic pain certainly really highlights it, but it's still a pretty universal thing in the sense of like, again, what are the things we can't do something about? Right. And then what can we? So, okay, this pain will remain and like, fine, let's figure out how to minimize it or how to not aggravate the pain or, or whatever. And yet life shouldn't be merely, I have as little pain as possible, right? It's sort of, you've reduced the pain as a means to an end, which is I want a life that's interesting and fulfilling. I want to be doing interesting things. I want to be with interesting people, right? So like, so by filling your life with some of these other good things, maybe it distracts you from the pain that you can't otherwise do anything about. Yeah. It reminds me of the, the Buddhist theory of you know, um, comparing pain to suffering. There like, mm. will be pain, but not as much suffering. Right. Right. Which sort of then circles me back to a quote I use a lot from um, Rick Green is he's a Canadian um, comedy actor who did the um, ADD and loving it movie that showed all over PBS, I don't know, like 10 years ago. But he has this great line where he says, I used to suffer from ADD. Now I just have it. Mm. And I like, like, that's that. it. Isn't that that's awesome? It. Like, that's, that's it. exactly it, right? We all have the things that we could suffer from, but having it and suffering are not the same thing. And, you know, I think that part of the not suffering or the reducing the suffering is to be very intentional here. We're bringing it all back you know, being very intentional. You're this up so nicely. Right. It's to be really intentional about bringing that, the pleasure and the fun and the meaningfulness in, because otherwise we're just suffering to suffer as opposed to suffering possibly for a purpose, but, but at least feeling like we're living an interesting life and that our relationship is satisfying and certainly our relationship with our partner, but even our, just our relationship with ourselves. So, you know, and I think that, you know, sex and creativity and connection and, and all like it all comes together. It sure does. Thank you. I so appreciate it when my guests wrap things up and circle back and close the loops because that's <laughs> the hardest part for me. Right. So thank you. <laughs> ending on a quote and a wrap-up statement beautiful thank you Ari this has been a delight a pleasure it's been enlightening thank you well this is awesome I'm glad I'm glad that we met and you know I hope our paths keep crossing I do too if people want to reach out to you uh I I don't know if you take yeah um, patients and uh, individual uh level or is it in a family or how do how do you work I mean I see individuals, couples, and families. Okay. Um, I'm based in Pennsylvania. Um, however, there are some states that are part of this cooperative agreement that psychologists from one state can see folks in another. Um, so the thing is about 15 at this point. So depending on exactly what state you're in, I may or may not be able to work with you. 
But um, if you go to my website, adultadhdbook.com, I've got a bunch of information there, including a bunch of recordings of presentations and podcast interviews and things like that on ADHD in general and ADHD and relationships and sexuality. So that's the best place to find my stuff. Yeah, it's a real wealth of knowledge and inspiration. I was I was going down that rabbit hole uh, over the last few days, listening to your podcasts and um, and reading your resources. It's excellent. And the books you wrote, what are the names of the books? So the most recent is ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. Um, before that, I wrote a book for clinicians called Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD. Um, and then another couple of books for the public, one called More Attention, Less Deficit. And then the other one is understand your brain, get more done. Okay. You've been busy. Yeah. It's good stuff. Again, <laughs> meaningful projects. Right. It, it lights you up and brings you pleasure. And it also heals and serves. It's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Thank you, Ari. Appreciate it. My and pleasure. Thank you. For those of you out there who want to continue the conversation with me, feel free to visit me at PashaMarlo.com or email me at Pasha poshamarlo.com. And then also please subscribe to the podcast so you can continue to get notifications on new and exciting uh, guest interviews like this one and uh, spread the word, share it. It's new and I'm excited and I appreciate all of you out there listening. Thanks again, Ari. Thank you. Bye.